Fresh out the oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Emmett. And I'm Wade. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie and popular film franchises, one each week, to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today, we are concluding our miniseries, The House Bummy, covering every film written by Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith. We will fully spoil today's film, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series, because currently, there aren't any. Wade, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Let me wish both of you a Merry Christmas. Ah, Merry Christmas. Is this our Christmas episode? Uh, Yeah, well, our ranking will come out on Christmas Eve, but this is our episode, our full episode for the week of Christmas. Did did you do this because I was going to be on this episode? It was part of the thought process. I'm the Christmas queen. That is true. That's true. (laughs) Kelly loves Christmas as much as anyone else I know, with the possible exception of my own mother. It's also our 69th episode. Nice. How are you, Emmett? I'm doing well, and I'm doing especially well today because I am in the Queen City, the C-O-T, baby, home of Kelly. (laughs) Kelly Lee, our guest, who we are very honored to have. She's, I don't know, it may come up with something funny, perhaps best known to our audience for um, loving Christmas and having a weird stepchild. (laughs) She's my actual child. Oh, yeah, she's the your gnomes child. are my stepchildren. Okay. <laughs> uh, much like Ron Burgundy, my downfall will come at the uh, hands of a teleprompter. <laughs> uh, there was also some fun teleprompter play in this movie. You haven't introduced, you haven't said her name. Oh, her name is Kelly Lee. Kelly <laughs> Lee. <laughs> Woo! Hello. Um, Kelly. Yes. Before we talk about this horrible movie, what's your previous experience with the series as a whole, with the films of uh, McCullough and Smith? I have watched all of them. Maybe not love all of them. I do like all of them. I love She's the Man. That is the best movie. Not That's strong words. It's a very good movie. <laughs> what about The House Bunny? You even like The House Bunny? I like The House Bunny. I haven't seen it in a few years. But I remember enjoying it. I love uh, Anna Ferris and Emma Stone, obviously. Yeah. Kelly, what would your ranking be of these six? Okay, definitely She's the Man's the top. Nice. Then probably Legally Blonde, Ella Enchanted. What am I missing? Ten Things. Oh, Ten Things I Hate About You goes about Legally Blonde. Mm. And then, okay. or House Funny, and then this movie. Okay. Tell us a little bit about your previous experience with this film, The Ugly Truth. I think I watched it right around when it came out, maybe like a year later, and I was like 12 or 13, and I thought it was funny (laughs) at that point. Did your mom let you watch this movie? (laughs) She didn't know. I had a laptop. (laughs) I also think that I was like, ooh, this is a bad movie. (laughs) So I was like... Well, you were correct. (laughs) It is. You're right (laughs) But at that time, I enjoyed it. <laughs> and how about more recently? Um, I saw that it came out on Netflix, like, a couple of months ago before you asked me to do this. And I started trying to watch. I was like, oh, I haven't seen this movie. Kind of fun. Like, I love a good, like, stupid rom-com. Don't know if this is rom-com. I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, and then I watched maybe 10 minutes of it. I said, this is terrible. And I chose another movie to watch instead. <laughs> 
and then I was forced to watch it for this. So thanks. Well, you told me that, and I was like, oh, so you have any feelings about it at all? <laughs> then you are the right guest for this episode. <laughs> oh, man. You're really always on here to discuss, like, the uh, controversial picks in the series. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Yes. Could you please give us the very brief stats on this film, 2009's The Ugly Truth? The Ugly Truth, directed by our old pal Robert Lukatek, the director of Legally Blonde, the only director to direct two McCullough and Smith movies. In the meantime, between the two, he directed Win a Date with Ted Hamilton, Monster-in-Law, and 21. Whoa, Interesting. That's a movie that left a big impression on me when I was like 14. Um, I haven't yeah, seen it I'm since, so I, I will make no claims as to its quality. Uh, but Jim Sturgis, he yeah. was a moment. I think Across the Universe came out first, which I loved. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, Jim Sturgis is going to be in this movie and they're playing the doors in the trailer. It's going to be the coolest movie ever made. Um, and at the time it was. I remember having like a teen night blackjack party where we like all dressed up and pretended like it was a casino and like went and like did that. And we were all like, like, you know, like speaking in the code that they had developed. I think I remember that a big plot point of that movie is that I don't remember who is the girl in it, but that she has like one blue and one green eye. Oh, and that was like a big plot point. And I was like, I'll never be cool because my eyes are the same color. Wow. Heterochromia is super cool, though. You're right. And then after this, after this movie, old Lukapek directs the rom com Killers, which also has Katherine Heigl and Ashton Kutcher. I remember liking that movie when I was 15. Who's to say? Here's the good news the good news is we don't have to place all of the blame on Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith. Thank Although God. I do think. I sadly think they share a lot of the blame. But this was originally written by Nicole Eastman. This is her only produced script. We'll talk more about that in the behind the scenes. But the the first draft, and she gets a story by credit, the only story by credit in the movie too. So she wrote the first draft, and then the second draft is Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith, their sixth movie and the most recent movie. And their second one that wasn't adapted from something else Although, again, this is not their story, so that's a little murky. It's astounding to me that women were involved in any part of the creative process (laughs) for this movie. Yeah. In fact, it was uh, almost exclusively women in the creative process of this movie. (laughs) Mind-boggling to me. Um, I actually read a really good piece that I will plug now called The Ugly Truth About the Ugly Truth which is by Sadie Doyle for The Guardian, which is just about trying to answer the question, like, how could a bunch of women make a really sexist movie? And the answer in that basically is, like, that it pays well. Mm. That, like, sexist scripts are what's getting produced. So, like, if a woman wants to get produced, that's what she has to write. More to discuss on that topic, but that is what the piece is, which I would recommend. Cool. This movie scored by Aaron Zygman, who also did the score for The Notebook, The Proposal, and other better rom-coms than this. Good rom-coms. Runs one hour and 36 minutes, which seems suspicious to me because I thought it was much longer. Released July 24th, 2009 by Sony Pictures. 
budget of 38 million, box office of 205 million dollars. This is the biggest hit of their career in theaters by a good bit. Because Legally Blonde is 140 and nothing else is even close to that. I have nothing to say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It had horrible reviews at the time, but I think this is a good example that like how many people see something in theaters does not necessarily determine how it will be remembered. Yeah. That's very fair. I'm looking at other movies that did well in 2009 and it's grim. So I would also place this along its compatriots, X-Men Origins Wolverine, The Blind Side, (laughs) Ice Age Dawn of the Dinosaurs, The Hangover, and Transformers Revenge of the Fallen that all that all top in the are all in the top 15 highest grossing of the same year. That's bleak. Those are the stats. Emmett, how would you describe the plot of this movie to anyone who hasn't seen it? And I and I've gotta say that we have received some feedback saying that the plot synopsises have gotten a little unhinged in recent episodes. <laughs> so Wait, 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 excuse me, from whom, from whom are we receiving that feedback? Not from me, but from a listener, a listener who I will not name. Okay. I'm not saying as concisely as possible. I'm just saying more concisely than recently. What is the plot of The Ugly Truth? Luckily, this film doesn't have one. <laughs> Uh, Okay, plot of the ugly truth. There's a successful morning news show producer named Catherine Heigl. And she is very successful, but she doesn't have a boyfriend, um, which doesn't really seem like a problem to me, but it is framed as a problem in this film. She sees a really horrible shock jock guy on like a public access television channel She's horribly offended by him. And then, boom, the next day he's been hired by the company and he is going to do a segment. And it's super offensive and it's super sexist. And she hates that. Um, But then somehow she also meets a very sexy doctor who she would like to be in a relationship (laughs) with. So she's going to try and make that happen. And the gross shock jock guy played by Gerard Butler is like, get this the only way that you can get this guy is if you follow my dating advice if you follow my dating advice and you get him then you have to keep me on the show if you follow my dating advice and it doesn't work like i'll leave you don't have you know like you obviously hate me i'll leave through a series of increasingly offensive bits basically just increasingly offensive sketch comedy routines they like go through a sequence of her becoming more like what he perceives men want out of women. And then it totally works and she hooks the doctor guy. But then at the same time, it's obvious that the real chemistry is between her and Gerard Butler. And at the end of the movie, he's like going to have a meeting to maybe sign on with like a more successful news station, Um, like an East Coast, like a New York news station. They're in Sacramento. Another Sacramento movie, interestingly. Shout out to Lady Bird a good movie about Sacramento. He's like going to have this meeting. She is sent to stop him from taking that job. But then he refuses to take that job because he really has like fallen in love with her, I guess. 
and they like make out in the elevator. The point be- before, right before they make out in the elevator is the only part of the movie that was good and it is very hot. Like right when they're just like in the elevator together and like, will they, won't they? That is hot. I'm sorry, but that is a good part of this movie. Um, the part before that is the only part I like, which is when they're dancing together. I just think that that's like the only the only interesting bit of directing. Honestly, I'm going to say it straight up. The only interesting directing choice in either this or Legally Blonde is that he shoots the dancing so close up on their shoulders. Mm. And it's just like you're just sort of seeing like their shoulders and their faces next to each other as they do this elaborate dance. I like that part. So then they make out in the elevator. They are going. They're like, that was weird. They're going to go to their separate floors. And then she goes to her hotel room. She hears a knock on the door and she thinks it's going to be him coming back to declare his love. And that's exactly what she wants. She opens the door. It's the friggin' Dr. Dweeb. And he's there. And then Gerard Butler comes up and also knocks on the door because he is going to come up and see her. But then, of course, the doctor answers the door and he's like, oh, what the hell? Like, she was just with, like, wanted him the whole time. And then there's, like, that moment where everything all is lost. Cut to, he, like, decides to take the other job, better news station. And they hire this new anchor who's terrible. He was, like, surprisingly even worse than than Gerard Butler was. Um, Or maybe he's just saying the quiet part out loud. Who knows? Um, (laughs) And then they are up in a hot air balloon, at which point I look over at Arabella and say, please, 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 can we never go in a hot air balloon ever? That's so horrifying to me. Uh, And luckily she also felt the same way. So that was good. That was a good thing to come out of this movie for me personally. Now, of course, they're not in a hot air balloon. They're on the worst green screen I've seen in my life. Yeah, I was about to say that. It's truly horrific. Oh, yeah, it's bad. They look like they're in an Olin Mills family photo where they have, like, (laughs) pulled down the backdrop of a hot air balloon behind them, and they're just standing there. And so they're in the hot air balloon, and they confess their love to each other, and then that's it, basically, except for one last bad joke. Oh, yeah, one less alarming turn of the knife at the very end. Yeah, right? It's just like, well, what? This movie was Gone Girl before Gone Girl was Gone Girl. Sorry, cut that part. Do you care to elaborate on that? No, absolutely not. I'm leaving it right there. You can cut it or not, but I'm not saying anything more about it. Gone Girl's actually a good movie, though. Yeah, I like Gone Girl. I think if this movie has a message, Um, What it all boils down to is that he says that women are just as superficial as men, that men are only interested in women's like looks. They just want, you know, like the the checklist that he is talking about Um, looks and like willingness to like be, I don't know, sexually promiscuous or whatever. But his take is that that's what guys want. And women want something equally superficial. Um, It's just like slightly different what those things are that they want, like the good career Um, They want like this checklist of things. They don't want an actual person. So the overall take on relationships, super bleak, both men and women are extremely superficial. Nobody really cares about love. They're just trying to check their own little boxes to make their own status markers that they care about feel good. And the status markers that you care about are entirely predetermined by your assigned gender at birth. Thank you. Does that sound like the message of this movie to you, Kelly? If there was one, sure. 
this movie sent me into a spiral. Let me tell you. (laughs) I mean, I had to listen to Good Thoughts, Bad Thoughts by Funkadelic and like sit in lotus position and weep um, for several (laughs) minutes to like cleanse myself of watching this film. It was really bad. It's really bad. It's a bummer of an ending for McCullough and Smith. Yeah. Um, Because I think House Bunny is already like hard to watch just mm-hmm. like hard to get through and then like th- but this is still so much worse house bunny is not often overtly offensive the way that this is pretty much every other line it's one of the most sexist piece of media's media i've seen to date yeah it was it was a uh, hard hard to watch hard to have any thoughts besides sadness we're supposed to be upset by Gerard Butler's show, I think. I think that is true because our main character is really upset about it and about how sexist it is. But then, like, all of the stuff with her is also kind of sexist. So. Yeah. They get together in the end, but he's not like, everything I said is horrible, the worst, I'm the worst. I also feel like they, like, hinted at him having a, like, tragic backstory but they never go over it. They're right. like, who hurts mm-hmm. you? And then he like gets like a sad... He gets a thousand yard stare. Deep and then... look, and then they <laughs> never talk about it. What was more interesting than me to that is that it's almost... There's a moment where it's almost like he doesn't really believe it. He's just doing it like for the likes. Because there's all this stuff of him like trying to be a good uncle to mm-hmm. his nephew. And the first time he meets his nephew, he's like, don't watch my show. Don't listen to anything I say on the show. Like, that's mm-hmm. not real. That's not how you should behave. Yeah. And the reason why he doesn't take the big job is because he wants to like actually be a good uncle mm-hmm. to his nephew who he like genuinely loves. Mm-hmm. So that, that there was almost an interesting statement about like saying the controversial thing so people pay attention and not believing it. Yeah, of, like, performative toxicity, yeah, for the clout. Well, it's also so weird that it's a news show. Like, when you watch the show, it very clearly is, like, an alt-right YouTube channel. Like, yeah. that's exactly what it looks like today. Uh-huh. This is, like, pre-YouTube, and it's a three-minute segment on a 9 a.m. local news channel. Yeah. Like, who is watching the local 9 a.m. news for this three-minute segment where they talk about, like, specific sex positions you should be using. And then they go back to, like, local events. The weather. I don't know. Maybe you think maybe we should all just be monitoring the local news a little closer. I feel like there was, like, an era of movies made about local news. There's, like, okay. a... There's another one. It has... Who is in it? Uh, Han Solo. Who plays that? Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. Ford. Oh, Morning Harrison... Glory? Yeah, Morning Glory. With uh, Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams. That was the other person. 16 movies TV show, and TV shows that take place at TV news stations. Well, there's Anchorman, of course. Anchorman, Mary Tyler Moore, um, Network, Broadcast News, uh, and... Switching Channels, Groundhog Day, Bruce Almighty, How I Met Your Mother. Oh, yeah. Those are all in the realm of like 1995 to 2010 is like the range when people were like, yes, let's talk. We need to talk about local news. <laughs> the behind the scenes might shed a little light on this, but first we should do Flabber Bob. 
All right. Well, Kelly? It was a bop. I'm kidding. <laughs> Terrific. Horrible, horrible flop. Wade, flop or bop? Uh, flop. Flop for me as well. <laughs> Emmett, flop or bop? I mean, honestly, it's so bad it deserves its own category. It's so yeah. bad that, like, there are other movies that I that are, like, movies that people should watch that I have given flops to. Yeah, it's a, obviously it's a flop, but it's like deserves a, its own category. It's like a belly flop off of the Golden Gate Bridge. Like <laughs> <laughs> or whatever the Sacramento equivalent to that is, probably less impressive. <laughs> the Bronze Gate Bridge. Yeah. The Bronze Gate Bridge, yeah. Yeah, it's not fun bad, which is what I was hoping it would be. Yeah. It's not yes. enjoyable to watch. Do you not recommend to a any person ever it should be off of all streaming services you should not have access to it yeah that's the thing like it is offensive but not in like a sensitive way like i truly believe that if like dave chappelle who is the king of like say whatever you want offend everyone watch this movie he would be like it's not funny it's not fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. Like I think anyone, even the people who say like kids are too sensitive would watch this movie and be like, oh, it's offensive and it's not funny. Because like, I think it's even like not funny before it's offensive. Was there any moment in this movie that was even slightly funny? Yeah. Was there a joke that worked in this movie? Not for me. I don't know. I generally think that that one news anchor guy, um, like the guy who's part of the couple, that actor that guy he's winning the that guy award for me this this time around i think that that guy generally has a funny face and so when he's on screen it is amusing to me but that is like so far removed from any sort of any sort of craft or skill or intention that this movie had of being funny that i i wouldn't count it i saw that guy uh last night in licorice pizza Okay. The movie, the new movie, which I have to say that he is making even more offensive jokes in that movie than he does in this movie. Was that movie yeah. good? Yeah, I liked it. Okay, I want to watch it. I think I think you specifically would really like it, Kelly. Cool. And while I was watching it, I was sort of I was sort of picturing you in the shoes of the protagonist, which also made me like him a little bit more. <laughs> I'm scared but excited. I think it's good. It is sort of like the other PTA movies I've seen where like it's less a straightforward plot and more like a bunch of little mini adventures. And so it kind of feels like it's like a four hour long TV show because there isn't really a structure. It's just like, here's something else. Here's something else. Here's something else. Here's something Very else. much my type of movie. But it's good. And, and I will say it's, in my opinion, Bradley Cooper's best performance. Oh, he is in like one of the little mini segments as like an insane film producer who is trying to like get gas in a gas crisis to go and meet Barbara Streisand for a date. And he's incredible in those 20 minutes. I love Bradley Cooper when he is unhinged and not hot. That is my favorite <laughs> version of Bradley Cooper. Rocket the Raccoon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> when he's not even there. Yeah, when he's not there. Uh, um, speaking of other movies that bombed, A Star is Born. Uh, back to you, Wade. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, this is what I wanted to say. So as we're talking about this, this is what I want to ask. Is this the worst film we have ever covered? To determine this... Uh, you both will be involved i've pulled up the list of every film we've ever covered whoa okay and we're just gonna go down the list and ask 
Is it worse than the other bad movies we've covered? Okay. Okay. Is The Ugly Truth worse than X-Men The Last Stand? Yes. Yeah, because... Yeah. <laughs> I would. I personally would say equally unwatchable. Uh, I haven't watched it, but I would say yes. <laughs> Is The Ugly Truth worse or more offensive than Deadpool or Deadpool 2? So this movie was only an hour and a half. <laughs> And Deadpool are two and a half hours. I think I'd rather watch this movie than Deadpool. Wow. It's tough. This movie is equally bad as Deadpool 2. Yeah. I think it is worse than the first Deadpool. Because I think the first Deadpool at least has interesting, like, sequences, like, directoral sequences. Yeah, I would rather watch the first Deadpool than this, for sure. I think it is probably equally bad in the second one, but there were a couple jokes I laughed at in the second one, and I didn't laugh at any jokes here. So, The only thing that I can remember from the second one right now is Josh Brolin, and that makes me think that the second Deadpool was maybe worse. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is The Ugly Truth worse than Hannah Takes the Stairs? Yeah. Yes, I agree. Uh, Is The Ugly Truth worse than Artemis Fowl? If only the listener could see Emmett's expression right now. It's such a hard question. <laughs> While watching... No, I don't know. It's No, it's not worse than Artemis Fowl. <laughs> but this movie does not have Dame Judi Dench saying top of the morning as she steps out of a spaceship. Oh, that's true. So. It doesn't have Dame Judi Dench just looking like David Bowie the whole time. You're right. You're right. Artemis Fowl is better. <laughs> Artemis Fowl might even be shorter somehow. This is, the, this is the real one for me because they're very similar. Is the ugly truth worse than the hustle? Yes. And here's why. <laughs> The Hustle has that great shot of the policewoman freaking out at someone in the background. And that is enough to bring it up over the threshold of this movie reaches. Yeah, I would say, again, I laughed at a couple couple jokes in The Hustle. But if I had to choose, I don't know. If someone was like, you have to watch one of those two movies again, I don't know what I would say. Probably The Hustle, but... I only made it halfway through The Hustle, but I hated it less. The Hustle is also incredibly offensive to women. And there's another female written script, interestingly. Okay, is The Ugly Truth worse than The Twilight Saga Eclipse? Yes. (laughs) Is The Ugly Truth worse than The Lion King 2 Simba's Pride? Absolutely. Because deception, disgrace... That's what this movie was. It was a deception to think that this was a movie that had anything to say. It's a disgrace that this movie got made. <laughs> Is The Ugly Truth worse than Maelstrom or Polytechnique? It's certainly worse made yeah. than either yeah. of those films are. I would probably still rather watch this than Polytechnique again. Mm-hmm. But I would certainly rather watch Maelstrom than this again. I, I would flip which one I would rather watch, but I would still say I would rather watch either of those than this. Okay, what do we have left? Is The Ugly Truth worse than Scream 3? Yeah. Well, there we go. Did you watch Scream 3? I didn't, um, but I can, I would much rather watch Scream 3. I know that right now. <laughs> I mean, at least... Scream, I don't care what it is. Scream 3 has Parker Posey doing something just insane in it. 
and that's worth it. Wow. Yeah. I'm yeah. honored to be here. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see. Where, where, where are we on this? I, can I say something what? that's yeah. so random? But I was watching it, and I don't know what the housing market in Sacramento is like. But I just, I have a friend who works for a morning TV news station. I don't think she can afford the same apartment condo that a doctor, like a surgery doctor, what I don't know what he was, <laughs> can't. That's, they should not be living even kind of in the same means. It was, I also think Angry. it's the same courtyard where they shot chuck oh. watch that tv show i was confused about what it where she is living like are they townhomes is it like villas in like a suite together yeah because it looks like they're all kind of connected and then there's like a little courtyard garden in the middle I was confused about that. It, I just still don't think they are living in the same means. I don't think they would be running into each other. I don't think they're on the same financial, unless this like morning show is, it's Sacramento though. It's not like LA. Yeah. And apparently it's almost always on the brink of getting canceled. So yeah. So I feel like she's getting paid 30 grand a year. Probably more than that because the cost of living is so much higher in California that you're going right. to make more money. We're going to go 70. Yeah, that's what I would guess, too. Still not the same as a doctor. What is the doctor? Like, the doctor is not a character. They don't try and make you like them. He's barely in the movie. The most unsalted saltine cracker of a man. <laughs> I hate... He doesn't... I don't even... Couldn't even tell you what he looked like. He was white and had a voice. <laughs> Did he? Did he, he have that? He, he spoke twice in the movie. <laughs> Also, this is so random too. I don't know why I noticed this, but throughout the movie, this is a weird thing. I mean, I shouldn't bring this up, but I, okay, I'm going to. Mm -hmm. I don't know why this stuck out to me, but every single time you see Katherine Heigl's underwear, she's wearing white underwear. Every single scene. And I don't know if that's supposed to be like, she's pure and like, like whatever. I don't Hmm. know anyone who just owns white underwear. That's it. That is interesting. What about the fact that Katherine Heigl's character supposedly has never masturbated? Do you want to get into that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to. <laughs> but it is really weird. That segment is so strange. He's like, you have to do this so you will love yourself, so other people will love you. Look, okay, this I'm going to zoom out for a second. Mm-hmm. Like, the scene of this movie, the dinner scene, like the big thing of this movie is like ridiculous and terrible, but it's the only thing in the movie that makes an impression and how they get to it (laughs) is so contrived. It's the laziest writing I've ever seen in anything. Like it's the most ridiculous reason for him to give her a pair of vibrating underwear, which first of all, why would that be what you give someone? Does that exist also? I'm, like, trying to figure out, like, the mechanics of it. Probably, like, a novelty shop. But also the remote control is, like, the size of a Pringles can. (laughs) So It ain't subtle. (laughs) And then the most contrived reason for the doctor to be on the date with them, like, the laziest writing. They had a date at the same time, so they're like, all right, come to this corporate dinner with us. Yeah, and that's just, like just cancel the date. It's yeah, not like he drove no anywhere. Sense. He walked across a courtyard to get to her. Yeah, or just have them like 
do the Mrs. Doubtfire thing, which they already do and she's the man. So like we know they can do it well and have her like have to walk back and forth between the corporate dinner and her special date while she's wearing vibrating underwear. Which is honestly funnier. Yeah. And it's just cribbed from, the whole thing is cribbed from uh, When Harry Met Sally. So Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Much better movie. It's like the one like notable thing in this movie, but like how they get there is so dumb. It's the, I want to say it's the only like R-rated thing in this movie that you couldn't like easily tame down to a PG-13, you know? This movie rated R? Yeah. Also don't understand what the point of the scene is. It does not progress the plot hardly at all. And if the point is to be funny, it doesn't progress in the scene at all. Like there are no additional levels to the horrible thing that is happening. It doesn't like build to a climax, so to speak. It like... Starts at this one level and just continues at that level for three minutes and then stops. Well, all sorts of things we could say about that, but (laughs) (laughs) perhaps better left, (laughs) those are stones, better left unturned, as it were. Um, Cultural context. What is the context that could possibly, okay, 2009 was just a horrible, horrible year. We were terrible people. We're still terrible people. The world is awful. Human beings are dumb. And... <laughs> You're and the ugly a lot truth. of things. The You're ugly sharing the truth, ugly truth with us. The ugly truth is that people suck. And they don't have any taste in movies. And if there's two hot people in it, they will spend $200 million at the box office to go <laughs> see a piece of heaping garbage. Was this like pre or post- Catherine Heigl's hatred. <laughs> this was during the middle of her rom-com run, but it was post like all of the supposed exposés about her being like really terrible to work with and oh. people always talking about how difficult she is. Yeah. Because I read an interview with Nicole and Smith before the movie came out where they were addressing that. But the but the interviewer was like, so we've heard all the rumors about Catherine Heigl like was she as bad as everyone says was she as bad as everyone says they didn't say so okay i mean what what were people saying about her that was so horrible hard to work with i think that's why she got kicked off of gray's anatomy like her character Mm. dies it's like she fell from grace as like a bad co-star and co-worker mean to people on set but she was like beloved there for a while and then she was like nah i don't know any of the specifics here I do think there's an element of like when people talk about Katherine Heigl or Gwyneth Paltrow, who's the other one I can think of who has like the difficult to work with, horrible to be on set with reputation. Uh-huh. Like I think w- when famous male actors do that stuff, they are like totally forgiven or like considered to be artists. Oh yeah, absolutely. We just like as a culture will like write off a woman for doing those same things. Yeah, I mean. Jared Leto, and they still put him in everything. Even our king, Denny, put him in uh, 2049 after all that Suicide Squad. So, like... Yeah. Yeah. One other thing about kind of, like, cultural context-ish sort of stuff, I guess, I would like to say before we dive into the behind the scenes of how this thing got made. I feel like a lot of movies, media in the mid 2000s were about like shot jocks 
and mm. were about like people saying horribly offensive things and like not really meaning it or like kind of meaning it and, but like having a redemption arc and all of that stuff and like we were really interested in shock jocks and stuff like that um it's less interesting now that one has been president it's like arrested development that show is not like fun anymore because like those people were in the white house it isn't as like laughable and silly and fun and like now if you're going to do something about like problematic people with power it has to be like it has to take that like the damage they do a little bit more seriously because we understand that better now Hmm. i think a lot of that stuff is also more based on like howard stern who is a guy i never think about now than it is based on like alex jones or Mm -hmm. like the all right youtube channels or whoever it comes to your mind now or like uh who's the huge podcaster who's who everyone Um, joe rogan yeah yeah joe rogan Rogan. like i think it is much more based on Mm. howard stern who was like a huge thing in the 80s and 90s Mm. although this this character was apparently based on a real guy adam carolla i don't know if anyone has heard of him but he had the adam carolla show which is like what the ugly truth show is based on. And Gerard Butler like went to like watch him tape the show to like try and get inspiration for the character. Oh, here's another thing I have to say about this movie. (laughs) Often watching films, especially horror films, which I've been watching a lot of recently, I feel bad for the actor, especially the women like portraying these characters and like having dumb lines and like doing dumb things on screen or like dumb or sexist things on screen. Rarely do I feel bad for a male actor having to say or do things on screen. This is one of those times (laughs) I feel legitimately bad that Jared Butler had to say and do many of the things that he had to say and do in this film. Get in a kiddie pool full of jello and lick it off of... (laughs) I don't feel that sorry for him about okay. that. But I, <laughs> but I do feel bad for him about like some of the things that he had to say in this movie. It's just like and like some like that's gonna be a clip on YouTube forever of Jared Butler doing that. So he agreed to do the movie though. So. I know, he shouldn't have. I don't yeah. I think it's like an interesting playing against type for him. Mm-hmm. And I think he does a good job. Like, okay, this is my question about this movie. Uh-huh. Do do you guys think that the directing is bad? Yeah, I I feel like there was no directing done. I feel like they just like got on set and were like, I don't think there were any like really choices at all made. Okay. Yeah, it seems pretty bland. I don't think it's like, it, that didn't take me out of it. It was definitely more a writing, it was definitely more story yeah. problems than like the way the story was presented problems. And I do think that both the lead actors are giving, trying to give good performances despite like everything that they're given and i think that if people were fooled into liking it in 20 in 2009 that like that would be part of why because they are both charming people both like working like hell to make it work like and then if we ask like is the performances bad i think they're both good yeah like i think you believe that they are these characters there was never Mm -hmm. a moment where i was like oh that's a bad line reading or yeah. like, oh, they're doing a bad job. I think they like accurately, perfectly convey who these characters are. So I just feel like sadly, like the problem with this movie is the writing. Yeah. 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 Now, how, how did this get made? Wait. Well, look, I mean, we've covered a lot of this, but like the thing about this movie is that it was written in the mid nineties. 
by this woman, Nicole, uh, Nicole Eastman. It was written for Ben Affleck and Gwyneth Paltrow when Whoa. they were a couple. Whoa. Huh. I'm kind of interested in that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It sounds better. And it feels a little more like 90s. I don't know how much of yeah. the original script is in this, but yeah. you can totally picture like local news romance with the plot stolen from Cyrano starring Ben Affleck and Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. Oh, it is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And apparently <laughs> they didn't have to credit that for the adaptation. They gave the credit to old Shakespeare, but not <laughs> to Cyrano. And it was like basically just always in the pipeline to get made, but like never made it all the way to production. Hmm. And so it got to McCullen Smith from the producers who's like, this script has been around for 12 years. Do you want to rewrite it? And they were like, yes. And they did it specifically for Catherine Heigl. Oh, what they liked. So we've talked a lot about like them bringing out the best in their leading ladies across this whole series. This is like the same as all the others where they wrote it to play to what they wanted to see Katherine Heigl do in a movie. I think they did a better job in every other movie. <laughs> yeah, that's the question. Like, why does this fail where all of them, even House Bunny, like really succeeds at showing what Anna Ferris can do? So like, why does it feel like this falls so flat for Katherine Heigl? I don't think it falls flat of showing what she can do because I do think that she just like plays a range in this movie. I just think it's bad. I just think the story is bad. I just think the story and the jokes are both independently of each other, but also in conjunction sexist. Like her performance of that is not actually at fault. Yeah. Mm. For instance, a scene that I kind of like in this, they're there right before she's about to go on the date. She he's like, you don't know how to flirt. And she like starts like seducing him and he gets really uncomfortable. I think that is a good scene. I think that is like a scene that's playing to both of their strengths as actors, like shows her flip it from being like kind of all business and like a little nervous, a little a little caught up in her head to like really turning the switch on him in a fun way if it weren't surrounded by everything else would be exciting. I keep thinking that like this movie could be done in a, like this same story could work. Yeah. The basic outline of this story could work really well with these actors. It just they like just put every sexist anything in it. Yeah. I think you would have to change the structure a little bit too. It's very weird. And like the majority of the plot that Emmett discussed in the synopsis happens in the last 20 minutes of this hour, 35 minute movie. That is true. And it's kind of all over the place until we get to that. Yeah. I think it's smart that they hold off until the last minute to get them together. And then Mm -hmm. once they're together, like it ends immediately. I think Mm -hmm. that's a good call. You got to clean up everything before that in some way. Yeah. So the other thing about this movie is that they had like always wanted to do an R rated movie. Uh And we've kind of like talked about this a little bit on the thing, like how the first draft of Legally Blonde was really raunchy, Mm -hmm. was like a raunchy R-rated movie that they wrote. Mm -hmm. And I think House Bunny was closer to that too. So like when they do talk about this movie, they always just mention like, oh, Ugly Truth was a lot of fun because we finally got to write an R-rated movie. Hmm. (laughs) So my question is like, do you think that maybe like those restrictions that were imposed on them 
which they hated writing the other movies that they couldn't be like as raunchy or have the zingers that they always wanted, like actually produced much better work than just telling them to go wild and be free. I feel like they took the easy way out almost like they didn't have to be clever in their like mm-hmm. so-called joke writing they just were like ah we're gonna say cock a thousand times in two minutes that part. <laughs> yeah the movie really felt to me like someone who wasn't allowed to write swear words like finally writing swear words for the first time yes. yeah and like not knowing what to do with that see this is an argument for them having been allowed to have written an r-rated comedy in the 90s and have gotten it out of their system like be able to write other r-rated comedies that were more refined Mm -hmm. you know because i think you're right it does feel like that so what happened to them after this to mccullen smith yeah okay so after this they both write a movie on their own they I, i don't think it was a formal breakup but like they both individually write movies Kirsten writes One for the Money, which is also starring Katherine Heigl, comes out in 2012. And Karen writes Crazy Kind of Love in 2013, which is a book adaptation. I've never heard of either of those. I haven't either, and I don't think that they were super well received, which is why I didn't wanna I didn't wanna do both of those and kind of drag out the hard goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> now it could be worth us watching those without reviewing them and check it out and be like did they get better after this after going their separate ways after this one did this like get some stuff out of the way for them so that they Hmm. could produce better work i mean i can't imagine the next two the either of those two being worse than this one so one has to imagine i mean i don't know if they would hit the heights of legally blonde or she's the man again but i don't think so yeah i mean if we haven't heard of them probably not but yeah they could at least be like fun rom-coms that aren't wildly offensive uh they also both published books and in 2006 karen mccullough wrote an original fiction novel called the bachelorette party and kirsten smith published a collection of her poetry called the geography of girlhood oh sounds interesting I kind of want to check that out because I know that it's a lot of like her own poetry that's in 10 Things I Hate About You. Oh, oh interesting. So I feel like it's stuff in, in the vein of that. That's cool. Yeah. And since then, Kirsten has actually done a lot of stuff on her own, who is now credited in everything as Kirsten Kiwi Smith with Kiwi in parentheses. Cool. Do you know so what, that led, what her, led Is that what to her that friends call her? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, uh, yeah, I would guess maybe it's just like what everyone calls her and she wanted to put it in her professional name, but cool. I don't know. <laughs> Cute. But in 2018, she wrote a comic series called Misfit City, which mm-hmm. looks pretty cool. She wrote this book called Trinkets in 2013 and then created and ran a Netflix TV show adapting that book, also called Trinkets. I was going to ask if it was a TV show because I've heard of that. Nothing good or bad, just very neutral heard of it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it came out two seasons, 2019 and 2020. I think it is done now, but she wrote and ran two seasons adapting her own book on Netflix. That's cool. Together, post this, they have worked on a lot of stuff, but none of it has been produced as of this moment. They they wrote a script for the The Expendables 
which is the all-female version of The Expendables, uh, which I think was going to be led by Sigourney Weaver. Oh, and it was going to yeah. be directed by Robert Lukatek again. Oh, no. <laughs> I would be interested in seeing them direct an action comedy. I feel like that is would be a step out for them. and It would be really cool. And I love Sigourney Weaver, so anything that she's in. The first thing they wrote together, if you remember, was like a female-led action comedy that nobody produced. And so then they wrote 10 Things I Hate About You as their second script. So they did that. They did a draft of Legally Blonde 3, which, as we mentioned, got discarded once Mindy Kaling came in to write her Legally Blonde 3. Has Legally Blonde 3 happened or not? I can't remember. No. So there's a Legally Blonde, Legally Blonde 2, and then a Legally Blonde in England, which is not... (laughs) Yeah, there is a third Legally Blonde. But it's not Legally Blonde 3. (laughs) But they are calling the fourth movie Legally Blonde 3. Okay, classic Lion King numbering style here. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They wrote this original script called Party Girls, which is about like a bunch of Studio 54 girls in the present day in their late 70s who like all go to Vegas to party together. That sounds fun. Yeah. That sounds awesome. That got picked up by Paramount in 2019. So Mm -hmm. that might happen. Cool. And they have a rom-com with Aubrey Plaza, which is called Hope. Um, And this is the one that is the closest to happening. Like Uh it was set to star Aubrey Plaza, to be at Netflix and to be directed by uh, this New Zealand directing duo, Jackie Van Beek and Madeline Sammy, who I believe are in Eagle and Shark, which is the first Taika movie. Hmm. So that was like all set up, but that was in 2019. And then there haven't really been updates. Obviously something happened in the middle there that may have made it harder to make movies. What? (laughs) What could that have possibly been? But that's the one that is the closest to like actually getting produced, but still has not been. So we may yet have more to say on McCullough and Smith in the future. I hope so. I certainly think that like, I certainly think that two men could write two bad movies and still get more movies produced, you know? Yeah. For sure. So I hope they get more. What would you guys like to see from them in like a 2020s return to film? I would be interested in their adaptation of Measure for Measure. I think that is a... Mm -hmm. A 2020s play, yeah, um, that could deserve a 2020s reboot on film. I do feel yeah. like they do comedy well, mm-hmm. and I think Measure for Measure is not very funny, <laughs> but maybe <laughs> at all. A hot take, <laughs> a controversial heard, statement. Heard it here first, <laughs> but that could be interesting to go like out of what they're comfortable, what they're used to doing. I don't know what I I hope to see anything from them that's mm. not like this movie. But yeah, I am I I want to see anything they have to say and I think that they defined girl power for an older generation, which I think is awesome, and I also think there's a lot of things in these movies that don't hold up as well mm. today. So I'm really interested to see like I guess I could watch trinkets or like read the comic, but like how with the times are they? Because if you're writing a teen comedy, again, you have to be like aware of how kids act today. And like, yeah, yeah, 
<laughs> okay, so who is the MVP for you of this oh, film? Oh, I forgot this was a thing. Kelly, I, you get to go first. The little kid. The kid. The okay. kid. Mm. I have really no feelings. He seemed sweet. He was scared about a girl asking him out, but he seemed excited. I have no feelings towards him, which is the best feeling I have about this film. Wade? My MVP is the other interesting thing about this movie that I want to talk about for a minute, which is her assistant. Mm. Which is that there is this interesting idea at the beginning of this movie that for some reason, her assistant is sort of controlling her love life and also... Mm living vicariously through it like Mm -hmm. but it doesn't seem like there's any reason why the assistant couldn't date people because the assistant is also young she's also attractive and she's not married Mm -hmm. so it is really weird but the assistant is like setting up dates for her giving her a list of things that she should like telling her talking points like i think there is almost a really interesting thing in this movie that Catherine Heigl does not even want to be with a man, but her assistant wants to, and her assistant is, like, giving her everything to do. And that is, like, a really weird aspect of the first 20 minutes of this movie, and then it just kind of gets dropped. Yeah. I just realized I relate very much to the assistant in that little (laughs) discussion. (laughs) I live vicariously through all my friends who are dating and don't date. (laughs) So if there's any listeners out there. <laughs> but Kelly, much like the assistant, you could date. I know. You are also young and attractive and not married, much like this assistant. So you could date. <laughs> You're right. I don't know. Maybe don't give her any ideas. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> I'm once again plugging myself on this podcast. If you want to take me out on a date. You're doing what on this podcast? Plugging myself. I think they cut that scene from this movie where <laughs> Gerard Butler gives it. Shut up. Um, <laughs> speaking of cut scenes, there, is, there are two cut scenes that I was reading about. Oh, Interesting. Truly for no purpose where like her skirt gets caught in the door and he drives off, which is another gag from other movies. And then she's just left standing in the road in her underwear, which I assume would be white. (laughs) But anyway, there's an alternative, there's an alternate ending to this movie where it just shows that the assistant and the doctor have gotten together at the end. That makes sense. That I, does I make almost sense. wondered if that was kind of where this movie was heading with like a double marriage, like the end of many Shakespeare plays. And would it make sense because it's her list? Like the doctor yeah. has everything that is on the assistant's list yeah. that the assistant yeah. likes, and yet she's making Catherine Heigl. Uh, Emma, who's your MVP? I'm going to go with the wife uh, in the husband wife mm. anchor duo. I think that she is also kind of funny. Mm-hmm. I think the most one of the most interesting things in this movie is the failing marriage at the failing news station dynamic that I think is is interesting. I think it's often played exactly the wrong way, but I, <laughs> like as far as the writing goes, but I do think it's a, a funny dynamic, and I like her, and I also like the other guy too. Mm. But yeah, that's my MVP. Do you have any final thoughts before we move into the quiz section? I will never be watching this movie again. 
I don't know. That's it. That's my final thought. It shouldn't have been made. I'm really disappointed that these writers made this because I think everything else is pretty much a bop from them. And I hope they redeem themselves in later installments of anything. Uh, I like Greg Ferguson. So cool to see him in this. And I think he is actually like the only talk show host who has ever aged well. I can't believe they made a movie about Martin from The Bachelor. I wrote that down in my notes. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Other than that, head empty. No thoughts. Don't watch. Emmett, final thoughts? Don't watch this movie. The only other thought that I have is that I just tried to like watch a palate cleanser movie after this movie. And it was Minority Report, which I had never seen before. And that Mm. is a terrible movie. Based off a story by basically my favorite writer, Philip K. Dick. Tom Cruise? It's got Tom Cruise, who honestly I don't like. And this like seals the deal on me thinking he's the least interesting actor of all time. And Steven Spielberg, who's a director who I love and respect. I think he did a terrible job on that movie. I think it's uninteresting. I think the pacing is terrible. Um, And I think the weird like washed out look of the whole thing is just bad. And it is either pro-cop or pro-murder or both. And I can't get behind either of those things. This um, movie is bad. I've seen it. Minority yeah, Report. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> I forgot. Um, check out my letterbox for similar reviews of this sort of thing. All right. Now it's time for our quiz. Okay. This is Bums the Word. We're gonna. I'm going to describe 10 movies. Um, and you're going to try and figure out what these movies are. Um, this movie comes from a list of the 10 most sexist movies of all time <laughs> uh, by Satyam Raj on October 30th of 2017 for the website The Cinemaholic. Okay, so before The Hustle. <laughs> yeah, before so, The Hustle. <laughs> so, um, Wait, what was the year? Uh, 2017. Okay, okay. Um, so just so you know, this is the lead in. This is what uh, the person wrote. Uh, sexism, as the dictionary defines it, is the behavior of someone who appears discriminatory toward one sex, either male or more commonly female. Uh, most of the times it is ingrained and institutionalized prejudice against women. Sexism can be found in all workplaces and Hollywood is no stranger to this. If we look at this list of most sexist movies of all time, you can watch some of these sexist movies on Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu, but obviously I'm not recommending that you do that. All right. Um, at number 10 on this list, it is the fourth installment in a long-running action-adventure series. Is it a James Bond movie? 2015. It is not a James Bond movie. The first film in this series was directed by the director, Steven Spielberg, who we were just speaking on. Oh, this is Jurassic World. I'm talking about Bryce Dallas Howard running through the jungle in heels. That is correct. And the babysitter getting <laughs> brutally murdered. Brutally murdered. <laughs> All right, next movie. Uh, a 2009 film. This movie is like a poster of anti-feminism right at us. It stars Sandra Bullock and Bradley Cooper. Is it, a, is it also a rom-com? I'm it is a rom-com. What, uh, what is the title like? The title is a play on the title of, of, of a much older movie from like the 1950s. It's a play on the title of that rom-com and that starred two famous actors. Wait, I know what this movie, I cannot yeah, think yeah. of the name of it. It's like... Lunch at Tiffany's? No, although you're in like the, you're kind of in the, in the general zone of, yeah. of what we're looking at. 
also from 2009. It's yeah, like it there's was, something about was, Mary or something like that. You're getting closer. I uh, I know it. I saw the trailer because I was trying to find a rom-com to watch a couple weeks ago. And I was like, this seems like it could be good. And I watched the trailer. It looked horrible. Okay. Can you give us the title that it's playing off of? That film, the 1950 film, was called All About Eve. All About Steven. Yes. That's well, All About Steve. All About Steve. I've also never heard of that in my life, so. (laughs) All right, the next film is a movie from 1990 that I feel like I had on a previous quiz pretty recently. Um, It stars Richard Gere and Julia Roberts. Oh my God, Shape of You. Nope. No. Pretty Woman. That is correct. Never mind. Next movie, 1999. (laughs) It has a title that is very similar to a show that... Amanda Bynes starred on before the Amanda Bynes show. Is it She's All That? It is She's All That. Has anyone seen the He's All That? No, but that came out just this year, right? A couple months just... ago. Okay. Next film, 1971. Um, it's a psychological thriller starring Dustin Hoffman and Suzanne George. Uh, it's based on a 1969 novel. Uh, nice. The Siege of Trencher's Farm. The film's title derives from, from a discussion in the Tao Te Ching that likens people to the ancient to an ancient Chinese ceremony uh, where this object was of ceremonial worth but afterwards discarded with indifference. Uh, released theatrically in the same year as A Clockwork Orange, The French Connection, and Dirty Harry, the film helped spark heated controversy over perceived increase of violence in films generally. Anything about the title? You can uh, part one half of this title is the name of a kind of common animal. Dog. Yes, that's who you've got. Dog half. house. You've got the second half of the title. The red dog. Nope. The plastic dog. Nope. Although that's closer. The porcelain dog. No. Nope. The kneeling dog. Think more naturally occurring elements so that it could the be made wooden dog. Of- yeah, you're getting closer. The steel dog. The farther away. The water dog? <laughs> nope. The grass dog. The earth dog. The way you've gotten the closest so far. The plant dog? Um... <laughs> <laughs> okay, what do you drink out of? Cup? Yes, but what do you put in a cup to drink out of it? The straw dog? Yes. Okay, uh, Straw Dogs is the name of the film. All right, the next movie on this list, number five. Uh, this movie is from 1978 starring John Travolta. Grease. That is correct. Point for Kelly. <laughs> I'm not sure where we are. Okay. I have two points. Wade has all the other ones. Okay, so it's it's three to Wade, two to Kelly or something like that. Sure. Uh, maybe four to Wade. It's four to Wade. Okay, next movie is from 2003. My Big Fat Greek Wedding? No. It's a massive flop at the box office despite Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez starring in it. J-Lo played a lesbian character who eventually falls in love with her co-worker oh, and later... Um, I know this Chasing Amy? Uh, no. Giggly? Yes, that's correct. What is it? Wade is correct with Giggly. Okay. By Martin Brest. Supposedly a comedy <laughs> film. <laughs> Sounds horrible. <laughs> That's the uh, nominative determinism with Martin Brest. Number three, 
2002 film by Gaspar Noe, um, who has a niche in making films that are disturbing to the core and not for the soft-hearted viewers. And uh, I know some of Gaspar Noe's more recent stuff, which is also horrific <laughs> uh, and startling, but I don't know his earlier stuff. Um, it's another one-word title. Uh, describes something that you can't go back from. Mistake. Action. Think more like an adjective about those things. Regret. Okay. Permanence. That is closer. Wait, you're what getting did you say? permanent is closer. Irreparable. Ooh, that's even closer. Irrevocable. Also very close. <laughs> Irredeemable? <laughs> you're so close, but you're just irreplaceable. Like, oh my god. Y'all are just dancing around <laughs> the one word that it could actually be. No. I run out of ear words. Irreplaceable? No, you already said that. Uh, Irretrievable? No. Irreturnable? No. <laughs> Irregardless? Irresistible? Irrigation? How about irreversible? Irreversible. Uh, <laughs> That's my point. Is that your point? Is that what that is? Okay. 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 All right. The second to last film on this list, um, 1972 film starring Marlon Brando. This is Last Tango in Paris. Yes. And I don't want us to have to talk about it. Okay. (laughs) Number one movie on this list. And just so you know. I'm not going to say that these are the 10 most sexist movies of all time because there's plenty of really sexist movies out there. This was just one person's opinion from 2017 and does not reflect the opinions of cinema bums. We know there's plenty out there, probably plenty that we've covered already. <laughs> we've seen plenty. We've seen plenty. I <laughs> uh, just say so it's a sampling, okay? This is a film starring Sasha Baron Cohen playing one of his famous characters. Barat? Uh, not Barat. Ali G into house? It is not Ali G. It's not Bruno? It's not Bruno. It's the other one. <laughs> uh... In this movie, he wears a ridiculous beard and no mustache. And also a lot of epaulets on his, uh, you know, on his shirt. The dictator? Stuff. That is correct. That is Kelly with the win. Wow. Probably, maybe, I don't know. Um <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. Congrats. Congrats. Uh, I, think, I think I cheated. But... And surprisingly, this film was not on that list, but it could have been. Okay. Wow, what a downer. Uh, <laughs> Kelly. Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Cheers. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, <laughs> Kelly, yeah. do you have any anything you'd like to plug? Would you like to uh, reiterate your Venmo for Oh. Yeah, my Venmo is Kelly Rebecca Seven. So is my Instagram. <laughs> Feel free to follow or give me money. Uh, my Venmo is <laughs> at Emmett Temple. That's E M M E T. Just the one T on the end there. Uh, the Temple. <laughs> you can also Venmo me if you would like to. I would really appreciate it. I'm also broke. <laughs> Wait, anything you would like to plug? <laughs> 
Um, I don't even know. I think I would guess my Venmo is just at Wade Danger. <laughs> and I also have a cash app. So take your preference and Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Uh, excellent. Okay. Well, dear listener, on Friday, Christmas Eve, we will be back with our ranking episode of all the McCullen Smith movies. And 31 weeks from now, we will be back with Jordan Peele's Nope. So until then, have a lovely holidays and stay frosted, babies. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Wade Lawrence Holloman and me, Emmett Temple. Wade also edits and mixes the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week.